Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entale, E-N-T-A-L-E, you will be able to see pictures, shop links, and generally have a really relaxing magazine experience. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm absolutely fine. But I have realised something completely appalling about myself, which is not only am I a chronic people pleaser to the point of kind of, you know, darkened rooms, uh, padded cell type people pleasing, but I'm also now a dog pleaser. Oh (laughs) my God. Which means I'm so codependent with my dog that I will give up most of my bed so that he's comfortable. So, so, so (laughs) this, this leads me to conclude that not only are you not the leading lady in your own life, you're not even the leading dog in your own life. (laughs) No, I'm just a hundred percent not that bitch. Anyway, how are you? Well, I'm absolutely fine, but I'm having one of those, um, is this it days? Oh, oh God. And it's the, you know, it's the exact opposite of what I should be doing, which is gratitude. Because if this is it, then that is good. There is good stuff. But, you know, I'm in a little bit of a slump. Um, But I don't need to be because our next guest is very dear to our hearts. A writer, a journalist, the author of two books, How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood, and the host of the chart-topping Your Booked podcast. She is also a very hungry bookworm with a very enormous heart and a proper understanding of trauma and anxiety. So who better to be our book doctor and to bring us her literary prescriptions for 2020? We are delighted to introduce the wonderful Daisy Buchanan. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Daisy, how are you? Well, I'm absolutely fine. Apart from the fact that my mood at the moment is the mood that Gwen projects in Fossey Verdon, which I've just been watching, when she hears that Liza Minnelli will be covering for her in Chicago while she's sick. Is that a bad mood? It's a very bad mood. It's a real pang of kind of general envy and discontentment Uh, and everybody is ahead of the game and, you know, my star is waning. it all goes to shit after that, doesn't it, for for Gwen Verdon? For Gwen Verdon, for everybody involved, really. Did Liza, was Liza good in... In Chicago, then I have literally there were no lines idea. around the block. I only say oh. this because I've watched about three box sets in my life, and Fossey Verdon is, is now one, one of them. them. So, really, are you a box set? No, refuse Nick. I, I think it's the tyranny of them that freaks me out. Me too. You have to get the involved. commitment. Me the too. commitment. You and know, also, there was a thing recently about how um, people are genuinely addicted to box sets, and that they um, it affects work because they're like, oh, they're late for work because they they have to watch one more episode. It affects their relationships because of box set infidelity. It affects many things. So you are like, okay, I understand that this is going to be bad for you, bad for me. So you just stay away. Do you watch lots of telly? Yeah, but it's not good telly. Me I watch too. endless repeats of Family Guy that I fall asleep I to. also <laughs> realised recently, this is a confession, that I love a bit of light entertainment. Mm. And my new favourite thing is Michael McIntyre's <laughs> big show. <laughs> Annabelle, and text, we text each other now during Michael McIntyre's big show. And this is where we live now. I know. It I might happened. have to start watching it. I might have to get in on that. <laughs> it's really good. Well, my favourite thing ever is catchphrase and... <laughs> Especially oh. celebrity catchphrase. I'm very bad at catchphrase. I know, it takes me a long time to I'm work out what's going on. Better at catchphrase than I am at University Challenge. Is catchphrase the one where they where there were loads of them sitting up on? What was that one? No, that was blankety blank. 
Oh my god, that shows your age. Three of them. And it used to be where there's a slightly sinister cartoon character doing something, and you have to guess whether he's saying something like singing in the rain or the early bird catches the worm. Oh, sometimes they would There'd be a load of cartoon (laughs) chefs and some food going wrong. Too many cooks. Oh, got it. I don't like TV that asks anything of me. Mm. So, for example, at the moment, battling my way through through the you know the 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 globally sort of revered succession. I mean, yes, I think it's brilliant, but it's also making me sort of unacceptably tense. Um, Anything with a narrative arc, anything with any suspense makes me tense. I can't watch anything violent. I can't watch anything sad because I get really upset. So, basically, first dates is my most favourite. Do you watch that? Oh, I do love that. Love, that's, cry. It's the sort of, you know, um, if you go and see a children's film and sometimes it says, you know, warning, mild peril. The mild peril of the first dates. It's like you. That's my peril peak. Yes. Any <laughs> suggestion of death or, and I can ab- sort of take it. If it's lovely to look at, if the clothes are beautiful, I can put up with a lot, but just nothing dystopian. There's so much dystopia at the moment, and they're all. You wouldn't like Succession, then. I mean, I am going to be ninety percent channeling Shiv Roy for the rest of the year, or at least the next week, until I realise that it's an unattainable amount of ironing to be done. (laughs) You have to grow your bottom. Yes, she's got a fabulous, juicy sort of pear-shaped bottom, which is quite sort of you know radical for prime-time American mm-hmm. telly, mm-hmm. but your bottom is too small. Okay, all right. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. Have a biscuit. Pad it, like putting socks in your bra. <laughs> pad it, we'll put you in like a bottom fat suit, like a doubtfire suit. Can you imagine if I suddenly wa- started walking around with a Kardashian ass? It'd be hilarious. You know, Ooh. when we were growing up, that was the one thing you didn't want was a big bum. I've got to say that having desperately wished, I am blessed and cursed with a big bottom. And it's, it's big on my frame, I think, proportionately. Big hips and a big bum. Very, very sort of British pear shape. But um, Kim, for her, whatever you think of her, she has made my life a little bit easier and she's made me a little bit more self-accepting. Mm, I agree. I think. I that... mean, you've got to be seriously delusional to look at Kim Kardashian and think, oh yeah, my body's a bit like hers, but... <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'm embracing the delusion. But I think that a lot of women embrace that delusion and very good on them. Very good on them. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, Daisy, one of the reasons you're here, apart from the fact we love you, is to try and help us through 2020 um, by way of reading. And, you know, the way that reading connects with our feelings and ourselves and our world worldview and the way that we feel about everything. Um, so, I mean, um, I wonder where we should start. We thought we'd talk about mood, didn't we? Mood and books. So, yeah, if Dr. anyone's Daisy. feeling, yes, Dr. Daisy, if anyone's feeling post-traumatic because of 2019 or because of terrible things that have happened or just because that's the way they're fucking feeling, what do you think they ought to be picking up? Now, I think for any feelings of trauma, especially, you need something that's going to be really, 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 really gentle and in no way challenging. So... I've gone for that. And these are, it's almost like vegan junk food. These things feel delicious and tasty and easy, but they're surprisingly nourishing. So my first choice is a book by E. Nesbitt, who famously wrote the children's book, um, Five Children Children in It, and The Return of the Samiat, and many books besides that I can't quite recall at the moment. Um, Try google.com. My choice is a book called The Lark, this is so, so charming. It feels very slight. If you've got half an hour and a half an hour, and I've got half a day, an afternoon, it's perfect for that. It's about these two youngish women 
And they, it starts with a trauma of their own. They've got to leave boarding school because the money's run out. Their cousins, their grandmother has a trust. The accountant has spunked it all on something. They've got 500 quid in the lease of the cottage. You, know, you have to leave, go and learn how to sew and what? sell some frocks or something. And it begins with some of the greatest romantic and life advice I have ever seen in a book, and I think of it often, where they say, now, if we're going to make a go of this, we've got to work together, and we've got to think about how sometimes in marriages and partnerships it goes wrong because people are quite cruel to each other, and initially they do it in jest and because they think it's funny, but then it just becomes cruel. And we've got to have a lot of respect and kindness for each other, the absolute heart of our friendship. And I think that's how E. Nesbitt treats the reader. So they encounter all kinds of mild peril along the way. There's a brilliant bit, I don't want to spoil too much, where a group of travelling players turn up and they're not what they seem. Oh, um, but it's never really trust a travelling player. player. <laughs> it sounds so heaven. <laughs> it really, really is. And it is a book that's just about kind of cheerfulness and making the best of things. And when everything you know in your world is ending and there's a horrible, horrible shift and you don't know which way is up, that you will prevail and get through it and the prevailing isn't in big dramatic magical things happening it's plodging and plodging and mm. then looking up and realizing you've been plodging for some time and you've got this and you've made it it's really interesting that when i was had my big sort of mental kind of crisis and uh, and i was hearing voices and i was so paralyzed by anxiety and full of panic attacks the thing that got me through was jilly cooper oh i completely mm. see how that could happen it was an absolute, I, li I remember lying in bed thinking I didn't know what to do with myself, but Jilly gave me a hand to hold and there I was. It was yes, okay. It was so cosy and... Uh, Reminded me of a, of a more innocent time when I was reading those books, even though... Because we all read them when we were sort of I could 15. absolutely see that. And I should actually, because they will be listening, I need to give a little shout out to my favourite, favourite women, the Jilly Cooper Book Club, my <laughs> most active, active WhatsApp group. And we are... We, I think, have known each other, gosh, it's been about five years now, which is crazy. And it's all because we are, I you know, include myself generously in this, really smart and impressive women who read addictedly and read everything and read serious literature, but have a absolutely unironic, full-hearted and prideful adoration for Jilly Cooper. Oh, I'm we right had with lunch you. with Jilly twice. And another book that I thought of that is, I think, similar in theme, and delivers the same because you will read the lark quite quickly and you'll probably want more. Man at the Helm by Nina Stibby. Oh, I love again. her. She's so funny. Oh, it's so funny and great. And every every line is a joke. It's really, 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 really tight. And again, you know, I'm sure if you're not familiar with the story, it's quite autobiographical. The Stibbies have to move out of their grand house. The family are broke. Her father's just come out. Her <laughs> brilliant, terrible creative genius drunk mother has they're living in this um cottage in a village everything has changed also it's the 70s and everyone is horrified by the idea of a single mother with kids and so the title man at the helm um the narrator and her sister um the vogel girls think we just need to get our mum a boyfriend and then people will be so much less freaked out by <laughs> us but because we'll be respectable They'll be respectable, but, you know, there is um, nothing respectable about, um, I can't remember what, because I know actually Nina is a lovely friend and I know her and her mum, Elspeth, and they're both brilliant. So I'm, 
She's not actually Elspeth. I need to give her a different name. <laughs> An approximation. But, but Man at the Helm and all of Nina's books. And there are now, I think, three in that series about the, the Vogel girls deliver more of that hit of tenderness and good advice. And there's a bit right at the end of Man at the Helm that I think about all the time where... Um, uh, Lizzie, I think the narrator has that awful kind of first. Oh, I'm sad for no reason. I've been sad before, but I've known why. And this is just this awful, unshiftable bleakness. Mm. And her mother says, "It's the pig. The pig has come to you. You can't ignore the pig. You can't shake it off. You must welcome the pig and make room for it and live with it. And then the pig will will leave you when it's ready to go, and you will have learned something, and you'll be better and stronger." Wow. Well, I've heard of the black dog, but I've never heard of the pig. And the pig is a much more cheerful prospect. But mm. So these books are gentle and soothing for mm. when you're feeling really raggedy and post-traumatic. What if that trauma has a specific flavor to it, and that flavor is heartbreak? Oh, now we come back to Jilly Cooper. And again, it's a, it's a gentle one, I'm afraid. Um, my favorite Jilly Cooper, and all of her romances, which I think are lesser known than the big sexy ones, although... What, the Octava and Bella and yes. Emily? Is there an Emily? There, there is, is an Emily. Emily which I, which and my lovely friend Tibbs gave me. A, I've got a signed copy oh, wow. by Jilly of Emily. Emily, that's the one. Is that the one where they all go to Scotland with yes. the mad family? Yes. Um, my favorite is Imogen. Imogen is... A librarian and she still lives at home and she left school a couple of years ago but has this that very very relatable waiting for your life to start and being a dreamer and wanting romance but not knowing when it's going to happen to you and this fantastically glamorous tennis player um <laughs> what's he called nikki um Beresford, because there's a Beresford road near stoke newington and every time i go down i think of wicked nikki um who is you know, he's predictably a wrong Um Imogen has a very strict vicar father, and that's why he's Imogen is not really allowed to live the life she wants to live. Um, but Nikki is just desperate to have sex with her and leave her because that's what he does with his women. So he <laughs> persuades her to come on this trip to the south of France. But it's the making of Imogen, and the real hero is Matt, the sexy journalist, the older man. I reread it recently. Matt is 24 years old. <laughs> but what's so lovely is it's very much about falling in love, but also becoming a version of yourself that is lovable because they are courageous. My favourite Dilly heroines, and she does this so well. Uh, they're all women who are a little bit weak and wobbly, but find a bit of courage and a bit of bravery. I saw probably some nonsense on Instagram, but I do love a bit of Instagram nonsense about how... You, to be brave, you've got to be frightened first. If it's not hard, it's not being brave. You're just doing what you're doing. Yeah. And Annabelle has a good saying, mm, which is my what feel I think is no. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, that's <laughs> absolutely not. That's someone else's. Feel the fear and do it anyway. It's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> mine is. Well, oh, you set me hell. I have to give you a pound now. <laughs> it's exactly. And I also invented, you know, the acid house face. For its government. No, my um, my theory is that you're um, oh, yeah, you're as it. brave as what you want. Mm. So if that your desire and intent oh. is clear, you can rise to that challenge. Damn, that's good. It is so. Ooh. For example, having a baby by yourself. Oh God, I'm going to be thinking about that forever now. My favourite thing that I love, unrelated to literature, there's a podcaster called Brooke Castillo, who's this mad um, Texan life coach. I started I listening to her. And I don't know why. There's something about her, and it's not anything I've not heard before, but my favourite thing that she says is, 
striving for 100% happiness all the time is a dreadful path to be on. It's 50-50, 50% happiness, 50% misery. And if you're not miserable for 50% of the time, if it's say, you know, 70% is fine, 30% is awful, that means that you're probably not happy happy, you're buffering and you're oh. indulging in things that will just drown out the sadness. And I mean, she's a sort of very helpful for... maniac, this mm. woman. I've listened to a couple of them. Oh, that's I... interesting. Buffering. There are some things that she talks about where you think, whew, bloody hell, come on. She's got lately a bit... She, I mean, I, I really love her on money. She has completely changed the way I think about money, that she's obsessed with making $100 million. And sometimes I'm like, Brooke, I just want you to talk about feelings. But, <laughs> oh my goodness, but she is But sometimes all you need is $100 million. I had, for various reasons, a hard year last year, professionally and personally, and there were good bits and bad bits. But a lot of the good stuff that happened is stuff that Brooke made me do. Was it 50-50? Oh, gosh, that's a very good question. I think so. And But the thing is, I think that... It felt better than 50-50, but only because when I had those moments of, oh, my God, I thought, oh, that's okay. It's supposed to be for right. half of this. And that's, that made it more... It's helpful, isn't it, that expectation? I think um, I think if you understand that there is no such thing as 100% happiness, mm. you are a much happier person. And also what's quite new, and I've always known it rationally, but knowing it, knowing it, it's, oh, I, I have to do all of these horrible things and all these obstacles. And then it will be fine. And then I will be happy and everything's fixed. And I have a real problem with delayed gratification, having been raised a big old Catholic, because I think that I believe it's sort of, you know, earth and purgatory and heaven. They're like, oh, I can't have a nice time now because that means I'm almost, it snakes and ladders me. Oh, that means I've got to go through another. You'll lose some points. I've got to save it up for my heavenly reward at the very end, which I'm trying not to do. So um, if you if you have a broken heart, then Jilly can help, you think, that particular type of poison. And a book of essays that's American that I think is just the, the best thing. Um, it's called Wedding Toasts I'll Never Give by Ada Wedding Cal- Toasts I'll Never, I'll Give. Never Give by a writer called Ada Calhoun. And it was the, that, the title is an essay she wrote for Modern Love in the New York Times. And it really is about how we have this idea that relationships are all triumph and disaster. And... She talks about hearing couples vowing to love each other through the worst disasters and stormy seas and fire and brimstone. But a lot of being happy in love is really about being very, very, very bored. And this is a book I really wish I'd had when I was single and miserable and constantly, constantly on Facebook and feeling as though everyone in the world had got some the key to something. Like it never, ever occurred to me. Again, I knew it, but I didn't know it. Like, oh, you being married or being engaged or that you're not necessarily happy <laughs> well, and when there I was, was a theory that 26, a lot of people that was a shock to me well, that a lot of people obsess about the wedding but but don't give a thought to the marriage so you end up married and then it's a sort of now what and then the trouble starts oh you know what I loved so much about my wedding it's so because I genuinely I thought I got married when I was 30 and I did not want it to be the best day of my life because who wants to have the best day of their life when they're Gone. 30? How yeah, utterly yeah, yeah. depressing is that? And this is just the most complicated party I will ever throw. And we just have to get through it. And it's <laughs> weird because I look back and it was actually one of the best days so far. But I have zero desire to do it again. No. Mm. And I was so happy when I was no longer planning a wedding. And that was like, you know, one of the things I love about marriage and my marriage I'm very lucky it's like and we've done it (laughs) we've done all the admin yeah all the admin's done and what other area of life can you say all of the admin is done what about the people that are listening who are 
carrying around the weight of loneliness as we go into this new year. And I think there are a lot of them. It's got the word lonely in the title, so it's a bit of a cheat. But I came quite late to The Heart is a Lonely oh, Hunter by Carson McCullers. Such a brilliant. I love her. Oh, gosh. And I, I actually, I just, it's one of those things I keep forgetting and remembering. I probably shouldn't say this because nobody will want to read it. Everybody will be furious. She was 23 when she wrote that book. No and it, way. Honestly, I didn't know that. it makes me want to punch myself yeah, in the yeah, face. Yeah. But a cheap... <laughs> like in a scene from Mean Girls, which I watched the other day, it's like, I punched myself in the face and it was awesome. <laughs> it was like, I want to punch myself in the face because Carson McCullough is 23. Oh, that is a mood, isn't it? The yeah. face punch. Um, but... What is it that's helpful about that book? I, it's very much about people the separateness and togetherness of people, a community that isn't a community, people really, really struggling to find each other in the dark and the very surprising ways in which we understand each other. And it's just this, I think, really astonishing study of the way people think. It's the only way I can describe it is a sense that you're in your head and it just zooms you right out. It's that shot in a film where the camera pulls way, way, way back and it makes you, I think, just feel very compassionate about other people's pain and it really calls you up short. And we're all so basically it delivers a bit of, of perspective. Yes. Yeah, so you're not alone it in your really Perspective does. is a really crucial key to any form of sanity, I think. What about things that will embrace the, the opti- reads that will embrace the optimistic mood that we find ourselves in? <laughs> well, on the subject of things that maybe one didn't have room for in one's cynical youth and suddenly got very into, I have just become completely obsessed with a writer called Anne Lamott. And I read her book of essays, Almost Everything, Notes on Hope. Um, Anne Lamott's written a very famous book about writing, Bird by Bird. Um, she writes so beautifully and with such humour and she is so there's a bit of good in there because she's a recovering alcoholic and addict and I think it comes from AA but there is this sense of giving everything up to the universe higher and being power okay with that mm. absolutely sounds great and about just again that feeling that there is no permanent happy ending all we've got is now and we are all going to die but there's a joy in that and a light in that and we've got to really focus on on what's around us and it's the perfect um, antidote I think to a general pervasive vague sense of dread Um, and I really love her as well and I have you know this is a separate category that I will come to later on Envy and looking around at other people. Let's do envy. Yeah. I mean, there's Instagram, there's property porn. I mean, it's a nightmare. Let's do the corrosive envy. Now, this is a book that's coming out in February, and I jammily got a proof and I adored it. Um, Adults by Emma Jane Unsworth, who also wrote that very famous book that's just slipped out of my head that there was a film of animals. Um, oh, okay. Everyone today. loved animals, didn't they? Everyone loved animals. And adults is fantastic. And it's about a woman in her 30s dealing with the end of what she thought, I think, was the defining relationship of her life, defining romantic relationship. And she's really throwing all of her feelings into this pointless obsession with this Instagram celebrity. It's a really great book about 
this idea now that our, our social currency is there for everyone to see and how that alienates us from ourselves. Our cloud with a K. painful that is, exactly. Um, and it's so well observed. And I found it really, really comforting because there's a bit of me that thinks I'm well into my 30s and I shouldn't feel like this anymore. Mm. Well, this envy, this, this sense of... This envy, this yeah. shakiness, this sense that the world is... Warped. Defining yourself according to what you haven't yes. got. Yes, um, manifestering, we call it, instead of manifesting. Oh, yes, that is very good. I know, familiar with manifestering. Um, and another book that I come back to all the time and it's more more essays is um Nora Ephron's Scribble Scribble which is Mm. really a book about journalism but she is so good on professional envy and everything um and I think that there are lots of people who associate um Nora very much with heartburn which I adore but that you know talking about love and the complications of love but I think she's at her best on this, you know, trying to be a professional person in the world and the way our psyche is affected by the work we do. And there's this essay, I think, of constantly called A Star is Born, where she is being considered for this big job as a sort of a network anchor and loses it out to this rival and down to the part where she's asked about the job and she's like, oh, oh, no, no, I couldn't be on telly. But maybe maybe I could be on tell oh, this is exciting and then as soon as they mention who she's up against who I can't even remember who this woman is now it's not someone who has sort of you know stayed in history Oprah. like Nora has <laughs> but no, no Oprah but she says as soon as she hears this woman she's like oh oh game over oh I lose out to her on everything the and nemesis yes <gasps> the nemesis do you have a nemesis do you have a nemesis oh I've got loads a nemesis 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 <laughs> It's, I don't know if it's that the idea that, and even though it's not true in the workplace, it's definitely still true in the movies. It's like there's only one girl who gets to snog the hero at the end. I don't know. I, don't, I think it's perhaps a bit to do with, you know, admiration. There are plenty of people where I think, oh, like, you know, uh, Carson McCullers being 23. And you think, why am I not there yet? Um and I think it's a lot to do as well with scarcity and abundance that even if you're also like completely, I say completely between us on the podcast, <laughs> there aren't many men where I'm that interested in what they're doing or I care that much. It's the women I know who are doing the really, really cool stuff. But yet this feeling that it is all all finite and that there cannot be enough to go round to go round enough acclaim to go round but there's still enough recognition I think it's probably the word isn't it to go round I can't remember who it was who was saying you know in their in you know when they were pitching for comedy and it was like oh we're already doing a Mm. we've already got a female comedy it's like well okay one but you feel like that kind of thing is sort of constantly circulating where anyway it's that making your heart agree with your head and wanting to believe in abundance more is more if there is an appetite for something that someone is creating, there will be more of it, more of it, and more more people who want it. But yes. yeah, it is really hard to not feel like you need to kind of keep everything very close to you and be quite mean with it. But Nora is, as you'd expect, incredibly smart and perspective. Perspective. So she's, she's the answer. Um, 
Yes, and I didn't. I said the wrong word. Um, perspicacious? No. She's she's good. She's very <laughs> good. <laughs> Nora is good. Nora's good. Yeah. Um, Daisy, what about? I mean, I'm incredibly irritable. My 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 no. Anger, <laughs> my anger never gets epic or frightening or in any way cathartic. It's just constant low level irritability. So what should I be reading? To mellow me the fuck out. But I was in that sort of mood and I reread the whole of Adrian Mole and it oh, really, yeah. <laughs> really, really helped. Because he is, I think, in that very much in that mode of he's among other things quite an irritable character. I think that when we are irritable, we are all at our most pompous and we he's know He's irritable and pedantic. He is envious mm. and threatened. Uh, you know, he's he's traumatized. He's all of the things that we've t- talked about so far today, Adrian Mole, isn't he really? Yeah, heartbroken well, I mean, or at least wanting to be heartbroken. On the way here, I was really quite badly thwarted by TFL and things not working as I wanted or hoped them to and making me 5 to 10 minutes late. And I had that very molish the whole world is against me. This is outrageous. I can't believe it. Who should, should I write to? Read, yes. <laughs> Dear Anne Robinson. I know this wasn't on television, but something very annoying happened to me recently. And I think Adrian Mole forces us to laugh at ourselves because every single one of us is Mole. And because sadly... Je suis Mole. Exactly. Nous sommes Mole. <laughs> Then the books are finite and you will come to the end. And I always need more. I mean, eventually, that... the cappuccino mm. years, the wilderness years. I mean, you know, Adrian Mole, when does he stop? When he's about 30? But there is, I think so, because there's the, the Blairish bit, isn't it? Does he yes. go beyond Blair? Well, is that when he's working in Offerly Good, which is a Soho restaurant that only sells dishes oh, yes. made of offal? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that carbon dates it, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Diary of a Nobody. Um, yes. Which is a little older, but again, it's of that all of those really, really petty obsessions we have with status and being wronged and needing the outside world it's to reflect. It's the cleverness, really, the of making of the protagonist an arsehole mm. who reflects us back at ourselves. Therefore, we have to be on the arsehole side. Yeah. Yes, not such an arsehole that After we all, just yeah. get maddened by no, them. Not, not sort of serial killers, just, you know, pedants and, you know, people who are struggling, I suppose. Our worst and to remind selves. us that we identify mm. with that. I think it helps us to forgive our worst selves. Yeah, exactly. Generally, I think as well, I always feel a bit calmer if I read and, and I think as well rereading when I am irritable and grumpy I need to be soothed I do not want to be challenged there are plenty if of I'm, books if I'm in the mood where I'm so anxious and scattered that nothing can hold me that nothing can contain me which is often then I find that rereading cradles me in a way that a new book doesn't mm. a new book I'll drift back into my head and I'll do that yes. thing where I realise I've read four pages and I don't know what they were yeah. whereas a new book that I have a connection with already I can stay with so uh, I think rereading is, is medicinal. I completely agree. I had a brilliant Christmas as well because nobody had fucking told me that Kate Atkinson wrote crime fiction and I read every single Jackson Brody and was f- that's five books. And it's it wonderful bliss. to find books. that I'd had that with the Caslet Chronicles. We got to them quite late. And you, when you have a series of, say, five mm-hmm. to seven books and you can just inhale them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, totally yeah. addictively. I mean, if there's Tina, any doubt. These are the ones that always come up on your book. And it's interesting with, um, with Kate Atkinson because lots of people say they never really thought they'd want to read crime or enjoy crime books and then she was their gateway and oh. they're hooked because of those books and, and, and also the Jackson Brady books are grisly and funny yes amazing to be grisly and funny and also very knowing mm. about 
familial relationships or mm. our relationship to you the want, world. You want, don't you, a really complete universe that is going to entirely take you out of mm. your own. Totally. And also reading them back to back, you know, she the way she interweaves mm. different storylines that come back in. So it felt really... You and know, also, also she's one of those writers who's generous enough to allow you to forget. Yes. So even if you haven't read the preceding book, you, you, you're not baffled. No. But, yeah. if you, but there are in-jokes if you have. Yeah, I agree. I There's know. a real humility there, isn't there? What do you mean you've not read my last five novels? <laughs> Exactly. It's very generous. Here is a quiz. A bit like, I love Trollope when he says, now the next three pages are going to be on sort of specific ecclesiastical matters pertaining to the That's in Barchester legal Towers, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he's like, you can just skip this <laughs> if you don't want to know. I feel like and who doesn't? Yes, exactly. I feel like that should be in very many more books that I've read. Skip this um, bit. And so, um, and so in, the, in, the, in the Roaring Twenties um, and the Age of Abundance, we should maybe call it rather than the Age of Anxiety. Yeah. Oh, I like what that. Do you, yes, well, yes. Let's well, do it. Hmm. Let's say it. Um, Let's start what, it. Um, what do you think we could read to help us um, with money worries? Oh, now this Because this, it's really toxic stuff. Though. This is my favourite, favourite thing. All I want is a character who is trapped by the weight of their overdraft because that's <laughs> how I live my life. Surely um, that's all of us, though. I mean, I've recently reread The Secret Dream World of a Shopaholic by Sophie Kinsella. Now, oh. I think that because of the way it's packaged and it's sold a kajillion copies and it's often dismissed and written off as being light and fluffy. Um, and it is light and fluffy, but she is P.G. Woodhouse. It is a perfect, perfect souffle. Not a gag is wasted. She is one of the funniest living writers going. She is brilliant. And it honestly is the most relatable book. I think I first read it when I was a teenager. And again, I often turn to it because of that awful panic. And she really, and it, she talks so fantastically about an addiction, really, and a compulsive behaviour. It pairs really well with Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keys, which is one of a my book. favourite books. I reckon that book has saved me tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds in therapy. <laughs> and it's so good. It's just such a brilliant book about feeling a, a really, really, really deeply emotional response to something that people just write off as a practical problem. And there's a bit of escapism and wish well, fulfillment. A practical there, problem as in having need. no money. Yes. Because um, people who have a normal, i.e. not a destructive spiritual relationship with money, will say it's only money. Mm. But if money is one of the keys to your, you know, sort of, you know, bleak life panic, then it really isn't only money. It's kind of God yeah. if it gets mm. bad. It re it's that feeling of having control and having no control, of being kind of on the sea of a stormy universe. Mm. Um, also, I really love Ballet Shoes by Noel Stratfield because it's such a great book about um, child labour. Yeah. <laughs> but they are, con and it's a real, and it's such a, books of that kind of wartime era are all about being really frightened about money. And even though there's a sense that no one's got any money because it's the war. Still, some people have a little bit more than others. And they're really counting their pennies and thinking, oh, well, no, it's great if I get that part because that's like one yeah. pound and five shillings a week. And, and that'll pay for the ballet lessons or whatever it is. I can't remember how it it's works. But very much how I think about what well, we're well, no, paying for, like their food, food and that because, yeah. you know, they've got all the lodges and things and really about, I think. It's genteel poverty. That is nonetheless poverty. Yes. Um, a lot like uh, little, little women, women. Yeah. yeah. But Catching the dress, burning the dress, cutting the hair, selling the hair. No matter how much more money I have 
in my career. And it would be nice, wouldn't it, to, to have a look. But I will always feel at the moment, unless, you know, things go very, very wrong for me in the age of abundance. At the moment, I feel rich beyond my wildest dreams because I can get money out of an ATM without not knowing whether or not it's going to come out oh or not. God, yes. And I can wear contact lenses every day if I like. I can afford to do that. I don't also, have to I realised not so long ago that there was no amount of money, millions and billions, there was no amount of money that was going to be able to make me feel safe. So that has to come from somewhere else. Yeah, interesting yes. that. Again, it's, you know, seeking those external... But, and again, it's about scarcity, isn't it? Feeling like, well, I've got this now, but that's, that's it. And I think even if you love shopping that comes up quite a lot in in shopaholic where she has no money just looking for something to fill the void also being in that place that i've been in where you're like well i'm i'm so broke i will never not be broke i will never ever ever be even at zero what's another 50 quid in this black hole of an overdraft and my life yeah yeah understood yeah. and i think as well i mean it's all back to the same this comparison thing that we're obsessed mm. we're just comparing all the time and because we seem to have this visual access to so easily to seeing how other people are doing that it mm. makes us feel that we're, we're you know I will never be as loved as the person who proposes on top of the mountain with the you know northern lights in the background and who's planned this or I will and never yet, be as this you know and it's just on this? and on and on because I do there's so much of my life that I do not put on social media because I'm genuinely having a nice time yes quite often if I'm when I'm at my happiest I just I don't think of it or I, I forget but don't you find that sometimes when you've had the best day you haven't taken any photographs yeah. yes all the time. In fact, um, when I was a student, we spent a lot of time in um, the Willow Disco. The Willow was a Chinese restaurant by day, absolutely not a club, a disco by night. <laughs> and it was absolutely not a club. Awful. They were. If someone dropped a glass, um, they turn all the lights on and shout at you. They play <laughs> like a prayer three times in a row, and if you dance too hard, it would skip. Um, There's this amazing, amazing couple who haunted the ladies' lose. Um, were they alive? Uh, they they were sort of they were quite very a ghostly pale, couple but alive. Um, I, Diana or Diana, I probably shouldn't say her real name, and I cannot remember her girlfriend's name. But I remember once going in and hearing her, the Diana or Diana saying, "You've been thinking about boys. I can see it in your eyes." <laughs> but <laughs> there is one really blurry photo that someone took in the willow, and to be honest, it might have been different if it had been the age of the smartphone. But it was almost like a, you know. Um, like the old-fashioned ivy no phones rule like we're in here and that's it and nothing comes out it was just dancing it really what, was what just happens dancing. in the willow stays in the willow diane <laughs> <laughs> so daisy what are you reading at the moment at the moment i am reading a book which i might have to go and get out of my bag because do have, have a little have a little rifle um, our favorite thing is a rifle rifling in my bag in your very smart vintage YSL bag. Yeah, well, it looks vintage. It's only five years old. It was a 30th birthday present to me, from me. Love me. Oh, but I have you? worn it to bits and it's got a bit scarred. I want to take it to a... Um, yes, how rude to say vintage when it's not vintage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I sort of like... No, it's, it's just because my things are shabby and I can't take care of them that it looks vintage. <laughs> it's loved. Um, I've just read um, my friend's book and I want to talk about this bit because I love it so much and I think it's very a good thing for the age of abundance um how to break up with fast fashion by lauren bravo oh. now, this is great because 
I think there are so many voices in this world that are saying, well, you know, you just have your capital wardrobe of three things and then a scarf. And but it's all a bit joyless and a bit Lauren. Also, I've never been able to get to a capsule wardrobe. I don't have a white shirt. I can never find one. I don't have the perfect pair of black trousers. I don't have a cap. Everything that I have exists outside this baffling concept of a capsule wardrobe. Also, I think Mary Kondoing mm. feels very kind of like a like a very joyless. I know it's about mm. does this spark joy, but actually feels like a very joyless cleanliness sort of clean living. Yes. I don't know. This is a book for maximalists. Yes. This is a book for people who are shopping for feelings. And <laughs> I don't again, know whether to eat or shop my feelings today. Absolutely that. And it's about, you know, working through that when you're, you know, and also allowing for a body shape and budget. Um, this is a book for anyone who has a very spiritual and emotional relationship with clothes and fashion. They're in love, but it's complicated. A book for anyone who's struggled with feelings of spiritual shabbiness, <laughs> which I would describe as my permanent state of mind. What's that book you've got nestling on got your here, lap? Quit Like a Woman secretive by Holly Whitaker. Oh, Quit Like, that's about drinking, isn't it? Yes. Um, quit Like a Woman. My goodness, it's a harsh toke, as it were. Um, it's really eye-opening and it's really thoughtful. It's Hasn't this author formed her own um, female uh, fellowship? Basically yes. to counteract the, the, the patriarchy of Alcoholics Anonymous. The maleness yeah. of yeah, it. It's called Tempest. The all or Nothing. Tempest. Um, this is a book about how alcohol is marketed so explicitly and specifically to women. Is it the harsh stick that alcoholism is a, is a female disease, basically? Um, I, I possibly I'm ready yet. That right. bit. No, I just um, I read something about it in one of the papers, I think, what is, the weekend. Yeah. What absolutely shocked me is I think twice as many women die from alcohol-related diseases in the last 10 years that number has doubled from what it was, which is terrifying. There's also a writer called Sarah Hapola who wrote a memoir called Blackout about her drinking, which I think would be a good companion piece to this. Um, I love Blackout. I love an addiction memoir. I also love um, the Cat Manel one. Um, I haven't read that. Is that good? Called How to Murder Your Life. Which is definitely not a sobriety memoir. Although I think that's what makes her story brilliant is that, and I say this with all the love and respect in the world as a, a lady mag writer that like and then I learned to not get in any more car accidents and I was fine I think it's yes, really and then I stopped eating and then I stopped drinking and then I started exercising and then I started meditating what if you're still fucked but you're just a genius and you're writing beautifully and, I, and you know now I'm happy every day no you're not and I suppose that comes back to Brooke is that there is nothing Brooke Castillo yeah nothing we can do will help us escape from pain, whether that's, you know, the bad things. or Well, Brenny Brown says, if you lose the lows, you lose the highs. Mm. So it's it's both or neither, really. Well, this, as far as I'm concerned, has been a complete and utter high. I, well, I think we're, we're <laughs> going to leave on a high. We're going to say, Daisy Buchanan, we love you. Thank yeah, you. Oh, I love you, a and &E, you're my faves. <laughs> You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Medult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Never make eye contact while eating a banana. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.